What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another Inking Out Loud podcast episode. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And for episode 111, we are, of course, finishing up with our read of Robert Jackson Bennett's City of Stairs, the first in his Divine Cities trilogy. As predicted, I think we have even more to talk about today than we had <laughs> in our last episode covering the first half. So let's get our weekly recap underway. Drew, fill us in, man, and good luck. Yeah, uh, I'm opening my beer here because <laughs> I'm going to need the liquid fortitude to get through this. So much happened in the portion of the book we read for this week. Um, we we kick off things with a meeting. Shara is invited to uh, meet up with Vohanas and, and she learns more about his uh, rivalry with Wiklav and more about like kind of the politics in the city itself in Bulakov. But things go off the wire fast from there. We have uh, you know some some intel on these loom works that uh, Wiklav is is owning, and uh, Shara assigns Sigrid to watch the maid who was spying on uh, uh, Doctor. Oh my god, I've already forgot his name. Pengui? Oh, Pengui, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I'm telling you, like, I'm, I'm like almost struggling to keep this story straight in my head because it was so action-packed. Uh, but they um, they finally get some some of a lead. Uh, Wiklov and, and a mysterious man take the maid away. Uh, Torskini is her last name. They, they take her away and Sigrid follows them and he comes and gets Shara and they go to the address and um, and they find out that there is a divine being guarding a door. And they go down after killing this divine being and discover the true heart of the continent. The seat of the divine power and uh, and they discover a doorway that matches, uh, you know, a twin in the Forbidden Warehouse. They go through it. They discover that something is missing. But as Shara discovers it's missing, she trips an incendiary mine and burns down the warehouse. They flee and, uh, you know, through the doorway back to safety. But left behind is an ancient pot with a wax seal on it that gets melted by the fire and it releases Urav, one of Kolkhan's uh, most powerful divine servants. This like horrific sea monster that's bent on retribution for sinners and it goes on a rampage. It gets into the river and, and heads into Bulakov and it goes on a rampage where it's taken out finally by Sigrid and we find out the reason he's able to do it is because he was indeed marked by the finger of Kolkhan, and he he can't feel the kind of divine pain that uh, that Urav was supposed to inflict on him after eating him. Uh, in the aftermath of it, Shara sees uh, who else but Vohanis in the crowd, but he he's looking a little off. He's looking a little weird he doesn't have his cane he's not wearing his normal fancy clothes and she's like okay that's weird well she goes home uh you know being hailed as a a, a hero in the moment and Vohana shows up 
uh, back at the embassy, and he's in his normal clothes with his cane, and he proceeds to get really drunk with uh, with Shara, and they have a uh, <laughs> a very awkward liaison in which uh, <laughs> Vo can't can't quite perform, and whether that's due to his happens to everyone proclivities or due to as uh, it's it's termed whiskey dick. Uh, we don't know exactly, but he says some weird things in bed, and and when Shar wakes up the next morning, he's gone. But there's a newspaper article outing her as Ashara Komade, and she is in deep, deep trouble. Uh, her aunt promotes her in the most cruel promotion ever to make her just a, a pure bureaucrat and get her off the investigation. Uh, but she... You know, she finds her time at night to continue the investigation. And with Sigrid, she discovers how to get through these portals in the air. She enters into an alternate reality of Bulakov, where uh, the city is still intact. It's still amazing. They go through, they they discover, you know, where Wicklob's men have been moving things. And they follow them through another portal into the wilderness, where they discover airplanes are being made. As Rob and I so uh, uh, so oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, we predicted. Um, call them airplanes, but they're yeah. I mean, they're flying. Yeah, they, ships. They're flying ships. They have wings yeah. like airplanes, but they have they're sail driven rather than engine driven or propeller driven. Anyway, uh, she realizes, oh my gosh, we're we're about to be under attack. She leaves Sigrid behind to to watch and act if necessary, and she goes back to call in the army. And, uh, and prepare things, but when she gets back, uh, she is contacted once again by Vo, a note to meet him. She goes to meet him, and it is, in fact, Volka, his brother, who drugs her, hits her with some chloroform, and abducts her. She wakes up to find out that Vo has also been abducted, and Volka, his, his brother, is quite an asshole, and is planning on releasing Kolkan, who was this whole time trapped in the glass, down under the earth in the seat of Bulakov's power. He goes down, he performs the ritual, releases Kolkan, and is in turn killed because, well, Kolkan's kind of a hard ass with those rules, and uh, and a lot of knowledge was lost, so he was un- uh, you know inadvertently breaking the rules. Yeah, Kolkan was uh, a bigger asshole. Yes, yeah. big, bigger asshole. Yeah, um, he's always a bigger asshole. Uh, Vo sacrifices himself to give Shara a chance to escape, which she does, and she flees to the embassy, where uh, she takes a whole bunch of philosopher stones, starts really, really tripping out, and deciding to perform miracles. While Kolkan arises and summons an army to uh, bring his divine retribution upon the city. We have some some pretty crazy set pieces there, but in the meantime, Sigrid infiltrated one of the flying ships, takes it over, and uses it to destroy the other five, then arrives at a pivotal moment to uh, wreck the Divine Army and crashes the plane, jumping out at the last moment. Shara has a showdown with Kolkan, who it is revealed is not just Kolkan, but a fusion of Kolkan and Jukov? Yukov? Yep. Not really sure. I, I would say Jukov, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, they have this this sort of like 
super weird divine magical miracle battle and and they think she's olvos for a little while before realizing no she's she's just a human and she eventually comes down convinces this new divinity uh you know things aren't right in the world and the divinity wants to die so she takes the knife she's had created with the bullet she discovered in old Bulikov, the uh, the magical lead that the Kaj used to kill the other divinities, and she kills this one. And then we have a, a pretty extended denouement, uh, a final chapter that was, was pretty long, where Shara, you know, does some political maneuvering, sets up Mulagesh to rule as a regional governor in Bulikov. She convinces Sigrid to. Uh, finally step up and, and take up his birthright as the king of the Draylings and reunite with his family. And she manipulates her aunt to step down and let her move in as Minister of Foreign Affairs and usher in, perhaps, a new era, a, a new civilization going forward. She also has a rather interesting conversation with Olvos as well. She does. She does, yeah. 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 That's uh, that's something I'm going to be excited to talk about later. Okay, well, still succinctly done, honestly. I mean, there is this was just an absolute ride the entire way. I mean, it was I, pretty I, crazy. I, I don't... I, you can hear me. I'm speechless right now. And somehow I have to, I have to actually encapsulate what I thought about the second half. I mean, I, I will start right off by saying, as I thought I was going to, I did like this book very, very much. Yeah. In fact, I'm almost ready to say that I love this book. I don't know. You so, might, yeah. after this conversation, you might convince me one way or the other, because I'm like, I'm on the fence about it, I, whether I like it or love it, but I definitely did not dislike it. That well, said, okay. I'm going to have a lot to complain about still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially my style points. But you know, overall, we'll just wait till we get to characters and miscellaneous. I am gonna, I'm gonna do a lot more glowing. Um, well, starting, you know, starting at the kind week. of high but, level. Um, we've now read the first book in two uh, trilogies written by this author, Robert Jackson yes. Bennett. Yep. I like this book much more than I like Foundry Set. Same. Well, I'd say much more, but more. Uh. However, some of the criticisms I had in Foundry Side are very much still here. Also uh, agreed. The, the thing that sets City of Stairs above Foundry Side for me is the, the world building, the sense of scale to this, uh, this plot. Foundry Side is pretty contained. Uh, you don't get the feeling that he's fully developed a world outside of the one city Foundryside, you know, takes place in. Here, you really get that scope. You feel like, yes, he's done the work to build this whole world, not just one setting. On top of that, uh, I was more compelled by the sort of story this was. The mysteries were more interesting here than they were in Foundryside. Uh, part of that is because I thought Foundryside was extremely predictable. And City of Stairs was also predictable. But I didn't like... I didn't see every single climactic story beat coming in this book the way I did in 
you know, in, in Foundry Set. Well, maybe not everyone. I think I, I got one prediction wrong of the half dozen, you know. <laughs> uh, but but this one was like, I only really made like two, three predictions. And, uh, and I didn't get all three of them right. Or maybe I didn't. I think there's still some possibility for my seventh divinity theory. Uh, but uh, essentially... Where I was going with that theory was that I thought the Kaj was actually a divinity. And really, no, he wasn't a divinity. He was just blessed. He was the offspring of two divinities. Or, you know, the descendant of two divinities. So it was like, okay. Mm. Um, But but yeah, the predictability is the biggest problem I have with this. Uh, It it didn't ruin the book by any means. I still, like, I'd I'd give this like 4.3 or 4.4 out of 5. Damn. I really enjoyed it. I really wow. enjoyed this book. Not too surprised, but keeping it from a a near a near five score is the fact that I saw a lot of stuff coming. Mm. You said a lot of exactly what I was going to say, and you said it. You phrased <laughs> it better than I could have, so I, I appreciate that. If there's like the, I do have separate points about the world building and how much I liked it, and the predictability and how much it kind of underwhelmed me. Um, like I could, I, I could practically see every twist that there was to see coming from at least a few pages away. In some cases, a couple hundred pages or more. Yeah. You know, um, obviously we made some predictions in the first half after talking about the book, and this is this, of course, most notably being Sigrid and you know his being the lost son of uh, Harkvaldson. You know. Oh yeah, that was. I mean, very, very obvious. Yeah. I, I hesitate to say that we should even feel good about that one because it was so obvious. It, it like, it's yeah. almost like it was te- well telegraphed, haha. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there were like when we started this week, within one or two chapters, within the first half hour hour of reading, I had made like three more predictions, mm-hmm. and those all came true. Yep. You know, same. Uh, now, uh, one or two of them, especially one that I'll be talking about uh, soon. One of them I thought was going to happen in a second book or a third book. Actually, I'll just say what that was right now. It was it was um, uh, oh god, uh, Vo's brother Volka, uh, Volka, his being alive. I thought he was going to return as like yeah. an antagonist in book two or book three. I was like, ooh, he's like, oh, yeah. we got to that chapter, and I was like, oh, so this guy just went searching for a temple and went missing, cut yeah. like on this pilgrimage that he was going to. I mean, does anybody actually believe that happened? Hello, villain for book two, maybe book three. That would be interesting. Nope. End of book one. We got him. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I had the same reaction. Like as soon as, you know, that was in, in part one that we read when she, she went to Vo's party and found out that he had a brother and he tells her the story of how he like went off and died. And, uh, did he though? Cause I remember her, him admitting that he had a brother and that he's, Oh, I could have sworn the, uh, it was it was in part one. It was in that party scene uh, when they're up in the library together, and then the party. Oh gets man, I should have brought this up on the last episode. Then what was yeah. I thinking? But I I remember reading that and being like, yeah, I don't buy it. And then when when they fought off Urav and she sees Vo in the crowd and he's not wearing his normal clothes and doesn't have the cane, I was like, oh hey, what's up? What's up, brother? I actually <laughs> like, missed that one. I thought, and this was this was my theory that I got incorrect. I'll be straight open about this one. I thought. I knew that Jukov was alive. That was another one of my predictions. Oh, well, yeah, obviously, yeah. Jukov is alive. He's impersonating people. I think Jukov failed his, oh. uh, faked his own death, and he actually impersonated the Kaj. And that's why we saw the Kaj weeping, because mm-hmm. that was Jukov wearing his face, and his whole family had been lost. Like, he was alone amongst his siblings now. That, oh. You know? That's what I thought. And then when we got... 
all this varying behavior from Vo, from like this 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 disparity between what Shar was seeing and and hearing from him and what Sigrid was spying on him and seeing too and describing him as pale and sickly. I thought, oh, so this is also Jukov. He's like for some reason uh, he's impersonating Vo now. You know, mm-hmm. maybe he just wants to take advantage of his financial ability or something for his own gains. So I didn't see that Volka was the other Vo. I thought Volka, again, was going to be book two, book three antagonist. And then suddenly the, both of those were wrapped up into one answer. And I was like, oh, yeah. that was neatly done. Pretty still a little underwhelming, but very neatly done. The, like the craft is done with expert precision, you know? Yeah. It, and I have to admit, like, it's very possible that this only comes across as predictable to us because he is writing in a similar structure and, and approaches foreshadowing in a similar way to Brandon Sanderson. Mm. Oh, I have a we, couple of, yeah. You know, the two of us have so much experience, not just with reading Brandon Sanderson, but like really digging in and theorizing and trying to suss out like these. <laughs> You know, I guess. deep lore points and things like that. Like that's, I just don't want to be the one to say it, but you're right. Yeah, yeah, we but, do have but a lot of experience doing do, that, right? And uh, you know, and I've been doing that with the Wheel of Time. You've been doing that with the Wheel of Time for decades now. You know, and uh, and so when you start reading a new book that's written and foreshadowed in a similar manner, it's easier to pick up on. Now, I do think uh, Bennett here is not quite as deft as either Sanderson or Jordan. And that's why, like, I can still read a Brandon Sanderson book and come out of it satisfied, even if I do, like, kind of call a thing or two. I mean, think think back to reading Skyward for the first time or Starsight. You know, like, yeah, Relatively right, right. recent Sanderson books. Like, yeah, we made some predictions and we, we got a couple of things right. But it was still satisfying some of these twists in this book weren't quite as satisfying because I thought it was a little too obvious. And that's, I mean, this is a personal taste thing. This is very much like, I'm not going to condemn the book because of it. I'm sure, like, you know, if, if someone's not used to right. being so anal retentive about every little, like, detail and foreshadowing, like, you know, it, it's not going to be unsatisfying. And, and it still was satisfying. Like, look. I'm still giving this a really good rating. I oh, loved yeah. this book, and I am super excited to read the next one. So, yeah, yeah. Like, we, well, we may, like you and I may not have been entirely correct on everything we had predicted. We were still obviously looking in all the right places. Mm-hmm. Like, we we pretty much knew where the surprises were going to be. You know, um, but you know. It's th- th- there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I like I no. suppose not that you're saying there is. I know you're not saying there is, um, but I still want to talk more about what I liked before I get into another couple of complaints. Is uh, you you mentioned the sure. world building, mm-hmm. dude? He's an incredible storyteller. He being Bennett, obviously. There's so much lore to dig into, and you could tell that you can tell at a glance that it's intricately laid out with great specificity somewhere in his notes. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I think this is the greatest world building author to hit the scene since Sanderson, that I know of, Ooh. who himself followed on the, on the heels of Jordan. Ooh, um, bold statement. Okay. Yeah, yeah, bold statement coming from Rob. But, uh, you know, that's, that's just my opinion. And it, it only comes from having read the books that I have read and including now all the books that we've covered on the podcast. Sure. Bennett is a brilliant, brilliant world builder. He's yeah, just, he's got know. ideas. He, he's got a, like, he's got audacity and ambition. 
Yeah, like, his this vision. is one of the reasons why I will always, always recommend Robert Jackson Bennett to fans of Brandon Sanderson. And, yes. and even even if it's fans of Brandon Sanderson like us who are super theory-oriented and digging into things, like, look, even if some things are predictable, you and I, we both still really enjoyed Foundry Side and Shorefall. We still really enjoyed City of Stairs. Like, even if you're that kind of reader where you may pick up on some of the, you know, the 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 hints, the foreshadowing, and and guess where the story's going in, in some areas, it's still a really well-written, satisfying, fun story. Bingo. It is. Fun it is, especially. That's a good word yeah. for it, and, too. And this is one thing I will point out. Uh, as far as Bennett's style, I, I think this is a pretty marked difference from uh, the Founders books. He has a more uh, lyrical turn of phrase in this. Maybe that's just the voice of Shara, and since she is the main point of view in this, you know, we we get that through her lens, and that's what he's doing here. But, or or maybe it's just the overall aesthetic of the series, and I'm looking forward to seeing if we get uh, major point of view changes in in the sequels. Uh, again, I'm, oh, I know the I'm answer crossing my already. fingers. I, I want more Pitry, but uh, <laughs> I, I know the answer to that already. You want me to give you the answer? Oh, no, or you want to not give me find answer. out? Do not give me the answer. Okay, all right, I figured um, you were gonna say that. Yeah, you need uh, to ask, but but it's like there is there, there are word choices, there's a vocabulary to the prose in this book that isn't there. In Foundry Side isn't there in Shorefall. Not that those are poorly written or bland books by any means, but they're not as. Uh, I mean, I'm going to say they're not as flowery, and I'm not saying that in a bad way. I know flowery can develop this this reputation of like, oh, this is a bad thing. Authors like, you know, getting too far up their ass with uh, with their language or whatever, like. I mean this in like this is a restrained but beautiful prose. I oh was my God, really yeah. impressed by just the sentences Bennett crafted in this book. Uh, we're we're gonna get to this in our favorite seeds because mm, there's you got you oh bet man. your ass we're going to yeah oh my God there there's some uh, you know some end of the book Glenn Cook esque stuff. You know, like like you think of the Black Company, where it's always the beginning and the end of the book that Glenn Cook is like, "All right, let me let me flex on y'all fools." Like, yeah, snaps on latex gloves. Yeah, yeah, there's some there's some beautiful beautiful writing in this book, and I'm sorry, but like Brandon Sanderson doesn't do that. He has his occasional passages, mm-hmm. but generally speaking, he doesn't do that. He doesn't try to do that. That's not his style. That's not what he's attempting in his storytelling and that's fine like obviously i love brandon sanderson but it is for me especially the kind of reader i am the kind of writer i am i love it when you can get a brandon sanderson style fantasy story with a more beautiful involved prose style like this, this bookie. This is my jam. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm so glad you liked it. Good. 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 And I, oh, like, 
I have lots more to. to I'm, I, the rest of the episode I have is going to be about ninety percent positive and about ten percent yeah, just grumbling. Yeah, you, you say you're glad I liked it. I'm glad you liked it because I remember yep. you reading that first scene and you messaged me. You're like, man, I don't know if I can. Read oh, this. oh my like, god. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I totally forgot about that first scene. You shouldn't have brought it up. Well, but that I was that about tells to say I love this book. You need to know no, about the book. It tells you everything you need to know. <laughs> That you you had such a negative first impression, and you come out of it, and you're like, I love this book. There you go. Hey, <laughs> don't judge a book by its first scene. I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's get one more negative out of the way. One more bit of grumbling from Rob. Uh, the pacing. Okay. Let's talk about this pacing. Um, yeah. <laughs> second half of the book, things. I mean, we can both agree, things just exploded. They just went absolutely yeah. insane. Like we had chapters with so much happening, I couldn't believe it when the chapter ended, and I realized that, oh my god. That all happened in one chapter? For example, the chapter called Recreations, or Recreations. Why did I say Recreations? In one single chapter, this is what happens. Shara goes to the center of the town. She descends underground, and then she finds, oh, this is the true hidden seat of the world. Then she brings Mulagesh and several guards, and she leaves. And she puts together the, 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 the riddle of the Ear of Jukov. Or she puts, like, oh, this is the doorframe. And then she goes back in. And then she solves the entire riddle of how to operate it. She travels into the warehouse of unmentionables through it, stumbles into a trap, burns the entire place down, and then releases a monster. That was all one chapter. And it was a relatively short chapter, too. So in my... Um, okay, let's let's look at the actual page numbers. Okay. Um, Picking up my phone. So, so the first chapter... 18 pages. Second chapter, 22 pages. Third chapter, 26. Then 20. 32. 24. 21. 16. Uh, 18. 15. And then recreations. Uh, where is that? What is that? 17 pages? Like, it's... And then, and then they get really long in the the second half of the book, especially like there are some forty two pages, thirty nine pages. That final chapter, especially, that was like thirty two pages, thirty three pages actually. Yeah, like uh, that was actually one of the things when you brought up pacing. I was wondering if you're going to bring this up early in the book. The chapters were significantly shorter. And then they got really long at the end. And that's typically the opposite, especially in a Brandon Sanderson book. Brandon Sanderson tends to get into this, like, you know, you get the avalanche going, right? And the, and the chapters start getting really, really short. And you get, like, a bunch of chapters. And then in the middle of it, you get one big chapter. And that's the climax, Right. You know, uh, without spoiling anything, think of the the climax of Oathbringer. Yep. Right. Part five of Oathbringer. There's one particular chapter in there that is massive, and all the chapters around it are really short. Think back to Well of Ascension. Same thing. There's one long chapter and then a bunch of really short chapters. As the pace picks up, the chapters shorten, and and usually that's a you know a, a conscious choice on the author's part. You know, it's like. Uh, even when you break it down to like the micro scale, right? Like the paragraph level. If you look at a page 
and it's a bunch of short paragraphs, you're going to blaze through reading that. Oh but my if you God, just yeah. look at a page and it's like a giant block of text, even, even if it's the same words, you're going to feel this like, you know, this, this sort of like crunch in, in your, your reading. You're going to be like, oh, th- this is a lot to get through. You know, like, this is going to slow me down. I have to stop and think about the, you know. And, and so on the chapter scale, Brandon Sanderson, Robert Jordan did a, a similar thing. David Farland does a similar thing in the Rune Lords. Uh, it's, it's this shortening of the chapters to speed up the pace as you're entering into the climax. Here, it's the opposite. As we're entering the climax, we start getting longer and longer and longer chapters. And the denouement chapter after the climax, the final chapter of the book, is, I am pretty sure, the longest chapter in the whole book. Which was strange. Uh, and, and that was another one of these, like, super, super minor. I'm, I'm going to emphasize this. Extremely minor criticism. <laughs> but I remember... Yeah, because I'm reading it on ebook, and I was like, uh, when I was going through to decide where we were going to chop the book in half, I had to look at how long the book was and which chapters, you know, we were going to do. And I was looking at the chapter lengths, and I happened to see, you know, because I'm like, all right, well, which page number does the book end on? I happened to see at the end, the last chapter was 30 plus pages long. I was like, whoa, okay, so that's going to be the climax chapter. Not at all. The climax nope. was way earlier. It did have a Sanderson avalanche kind of like style structure to it. You, you kind of hit that halfway point and then it's just like, here we go. Like nonstop. We're, we're going to go nuts. And then there was a really long denouement chapter that was all about setting up the next book. It's like, all right, we're going to get... Uh, a conversation with Mulagesh. We're going to get a conversation with Sigrid. We're going to get a conversation with Olvos. We're going to get a conversation with Vinya. And then we're going to get, you know, a couple of scenes interspersed of, like, character development and, and wrapping up Shara's character. You know, we have the, the train ride out of Bulakov. We have the the at-sea burial of, of the ashes. And then we have her, like, final scene where she's like, all right, I'm ready to go home. All of that is in one chapter at the end of the book. Like it, it I'm not going to I'm not going to criticize it, but I feel like a lot of that could have been at the beginning of the second book. Hmm. I hadn't considered that. You 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 mentioned big blocks of text as as opposed to little paragraphs and how quickly you can just you know yeah. blaze through those. I, I I will when you're saying that I will admit because it, it it brought it it jogged it free in my in my memory here when I was reading this book there was particularly one moment that I experienced that court that sort of oof kind of slump when I saw a huge block of text coming and I saw that it lasted yeah. for pages and pages and that was when we got Pang Yui's journal. And yeah. there was an entire chapter going through Pang Yui's journal. And it was all, for the most part, for, for, for the majority, especially for the first half or more, it was mostly just like musings and politics and history, a lot of history. Um, I was a little, I was like, oh, God damn it. I was, I was a little bored, straight up bored 
you know, and struggling not to fall asleep. Because I, I, I do all my reading late at night. That's actually more because of when I do my reading, not because it was that boring. But yeah, it, it took me like three tries to get through that because it, I was just, my eyes glazing over. I didn't, I wasn't invested at all. I just wanted to get back into the here and now. I did not really like the journal or the or how, how much information we got through it. I felt like it could have been, yeah, just explain, you know, just, just summarize what she reads for the first few pages and then give us the actual test or text for what really, really mattered at the end. But instead, it was an entire chapter where you See, had to sift through it and find it yourself. And I was like, yeah, didn't, didn't like that. This is funny to me. Like, on, on the one hand, it makes a lot of sense. And knowing you and knowing the kind of reader you are yeah. makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, you generally love that kind of lore and interrogation of what we know about the world. You know? I do. You're right on both accounts. Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's just. Accounts, I, I feel like there's if if I were some you know, uh, like psychologist, I I would dig in really deep on like yeah. what this means. I don't know, know like, like it was. It, I think it might have been a lot of like history rather than like physics. You know, it, it was more like storytelling than it was. Well, right. So what I'm thinking of right now, and again, I'm going to try to not spoil anything. Uh, some of the passages in in the later Black Company books where a certain ghost character is talking to another character and telling her history. And you were all about that. Yeah. Well, it's because I've been waiting nine books to get a lot of these answers. Yeah, okay, fair enough. <laughs> 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 I, I remember exactly when it was ha- what, what you're talking about, yeah. I've yeah, yeah. been waiting for to, you know for nine books to see if the world was this big and if it was going to expand, and finally it did. A, you know, one and a half mm-hmm. books before the end. So I don't know. It was more of a okay. reason to celebrate. This was like I'm still getting established in this world, especially on a first read. Sure. I haven't finished the first book yet, and so this much sheer text when I when I really just wanted to to get back to our characters, I was yeah I wasn't too thrilled with it. No, I I mean I understand where you're coming from there. I do remember flipping to that chapter and being like, oh boy, this is this is going to be a commitment for the next half hour. And and yeah. that was yeah like I knew that once I started reading it, I was going to have to just keep going until I finished it. And so I you know like. I was sitting on the couch. I was under a blanket. I was all curled up with my cat. I was, you know, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm on on a roll. And I got to that, and I was like, you know what? Now's the time. I'm I'm gonna go get up. I'm gonna refill my my water. I'm gonna. That's what I did. It was a mistake. Go to the bathroom. I'm gonna Fell get asleep. another beer. I'm gonna <laughs> just like you know, uh, kind of reset things before I sit down to tackle this. Yeah, yeah. That, I think that was a low point of the book for me. But it's still a phenomenal book. Um, okay. To wrap, oh, let's see here. Um, oh no, we already talked about predictions. Okay, I'm pretty pretty much done with my style discussions. Pretty much everything from here on out is going to be me complimenting the man. Do you have anything else, style? Yeah. So I just a, a couple of small things. Um, one of them. Uh, this is again one of these like I'm pretty sure this is an early writer career thing. You know, like word choice. Um, we brought it up in the first part about how he has this like kind of tendency to to be a little redundant sometimes. You know, like, I have a couple of these in my miscellaneous. Uh, yeah, it's better you bring yeah, it up here yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. The, just things like uh, oh, let me let me pull up one of my 
highlights. Yeah, like like so. There's there's a a bit fairly early. Oh, what chapter is this in? Um, uh, it's yeah, in chapter right ten. Oh, here it is. Uh, when she's meeting with uh, Vo, and she comes outside, and she runs into Ivanya. Oh and yeah, we can I forgot talk about, about her. Ivanya in a little bit because I know there there were maybe some unfulfilled expectations with her. I totally forgot she part. existed. Uh, but but there's this line. You know, Shara looks up and her heart plummets. Sitting in the back of a long, expensive white car is Ivanya Restroika, face as pale as snow, lips painted bright, bloody red. She looks somehow more colorless than when Shara saw her last at oh, Bohan's parties. Back up a few words there. <laughs> more colorless? Did I miss that? What what about more colorless? Was that that was that was the phrase that you were focusing on, yeah? No, 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 no. No, more colorless wasn't it. I just oh shit, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I thought you were okay, sorry, go ahead. No, I don't I don't have a problem with more colorless. I, I oh, think shit, that, I do. Uh, well, we anyway, continue. I didn't mean minute, I, I thought you were Anyway, she says, one curl of black hair escapes her fur hat to curl across her brow and behind her ear. We have the word curl. Double curl. Gotcha. Twice in one sentence. I should have just let you go for another three seconds. I would have realized what it was. But no, no, more colorless is fine. Like, she was... Really? When Shara first met her earlier in the book, she thought of her as colorless. She thought of her as very, like... You oh, know. okay. I suppose if colorless and, is already and now set she's so she's adding a degree to that. She's like she okay. is more right. colorless. I mean, that's on me. I just forgot about that yeah. Uh, descriptor. Yeah, but yeah, like so there are things like that where I don't know. Like it's like he forgot he used a word earlier on, you know. Uh, and and we we kind of touched on this a little bit in our last episode, but uh, yeah, just this is yeah, it stands out to me. I mean, we, we brought this up in, uh, or I brought this up in the uh, Stormfront Dresden Files episode we did. You know, it, yeah. Again, like these are the first published novels for these these guys. It's like, yeah, like you're 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 gonna get better as you go. So it's like, yeah, it stands out to me, but I'm not gonna condemn an author because their Agreed. sentence Agreed. level prose isn't flawless right oh man and it, it, quite the opposite it goes to show what what work and what, what perseverance and talent can do together yeah you yeah, know? yeah yeah uh my moment of awkward seeming prose this is immediately following shara's confrontation with with aunt vinyam uh, as the woman promotes her following that that yurav uh, attack there the quote mm-hmm. is there is no crueler hells than committee work she decides and vinyam must have taken great pleasure in knowing this I don't know if the word hells was also pluralized in the physical copy. I'm hoping it... I'm kind of oh, hoping yeah, it no, wasn't. The, she, she curses by hells plural often. Hells plural? She curses by hells plural? Mm-hmm. Because there are multiple gods, there are multiple hells. But then there are... Wouldn't it be there are no crueler hells than committee work? Instead of there is no crueler hells. Uh, let me look it up. It just read a bit awkwardly to me. The present tense, of course, for me, oh, I've been bitching about that. Oh, I see what that. you're saying. Oh, oh, yeah. The present tense isn't doing it, the book any favors for me, still. Mm. And there's no italicization there, either, to separate internal dialogue 
from the narration proper. Moments like these, they kind of just take me out of the book a bit. Like, I, I, I don't need the, the you know, internal dialogue, like, italicized text here. It's like, not necessary. It's, it's still, I won't it say it's necessary. But, but it was but my no, problem with this. Bit. You're, you're right. Like, there is no crueler hells. Yeah. It just, it, it stumbles a little bit. You, you know, know, that reads to me, you know what that reads to me as? Huh. When he wrote this book, at points, he forgot that he was pluralizing hells. Hey, sure. And then there was a search and replace, a control F, hell, <laughs> and replace with hells. And he was just like, all right, we're good. <laughs> That's yeah, what that reads to me like. Who knows? Who knows? Interesting. Um, well, but I, I, I have know. another kind of random, uh, potentially like just post editing thing that, okay. that popped okay. up. Uh, it it happened twice than I noticed. And and you read an ebook, right? E-book yes, file? I read the ebook yeah. on my phone. So there were twice when the words of fish were were together. I didn't notice that. Or if I did, I immediately filtered it. So, uh, in chapter 13, what sort of fish, Shara thinks, could that possibly be intended for? And then in chapter 14, I wonder sometimes if the Continentals were like schools of fish. In my ebook, both of those situations, the Fs are connected, and it's offish. That's a little su- sus. Um, Since it's they're both using the same word. It's not just repeating Fs across separate words. It's with fish, specifically. Yeah. What? And, and there are three, oh, excuse me, four other times in the story that of fish occurs with the space. Oh. And, and I almost wonder if this is a, a typographical error from whoever did the layout for the ebook. Uh, where they were doing some sort of search and replace thing again to do, because there's like, as far as kerning goes, there's a lot of stylistic stuff that connects. If you have two F's in a row in a word, like if you have different or whatever, the line that goes through the F's, you, you connect it. Yeah. And I wonder if there was something like that that got weirdly applied to those two instances of of fish but not the other four like i don't know this is again super nitpicky and something i would never ever have noticed were i not a gamma reader for brandon sanderson uh but (laughs) but yeah it it was uh it was something that stood out to me yeah and then like you said obviously this is his first published book we have our a lot of the same kinds of concerns with with elantris you know, yeah. Sanderson's first book. It's very forgivable. It it really does not detract from the quality of the book mm-hmm. as a whole mm-hmm. in any way. These are just little nitpicky things. Both Drew and I are pedants. You know, yeah. we just, yeah, that's just what we do on this podcast. So uh, on that note, shall we, shall we start talking about the characters? Let's, uh, yes. Although, damn, I didn't like Shara a lot. So I feel like it's, I'm just going to continue what? with the bitching. <laughs> you didn't yeah, like I really Shara? Don't like her. I do not, not? like Shara. Okay, I gotta okay. hear this. Okay. It's not a... <sighs> She's got perfectly adequate motives, okay? She's very likable on the surface. And when you when you dive into the character a little more and, and her motivations, 
understandable. But she seems, first off, a little inexplicably capable, simply at times because the plot needs it. That was most glaring, I think, when she suddenly and rapidly solved the riddle of the Ear of Jukov, which was the stone doorway to access the the warehouse. She just remembers a part of the Jukostava. Those who are unwilling to part with their blood and fear, who refuse wine and wildness, who come upon a choice, a chance, and tremble and fear. Why should she I allow them in my it. shadow? Huh? She had just read that. Yeah, but, like, she did, She had just read that, and she decides to take it literally, and then right when they need uh-huh. access to one of his miraculous objects, it just seemed, seemed a little uh, I will also convenient. say, um, a clever, clever thing that Bennett did here. Uh-oh. He made Taviran, and she's a Taviran. Okay. All right. Okay. With the blessed, <laughs> or blessed, yeah. I'll say blessed. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I get that she's a scholar. She studied all the relevant books. It's just, it seemed really convenient that she had just read that, and she just realized, oh, this is probably what we need to take literally in this moment that I happen to need it. And it, it, I was like, mm, I don't know. It didn't really strike me as organic so much as it felt like, well, we need this to happen. No, but again, this See, that's that, interesting because that, in that moment, I felt like what she did wasn't necessarily the like what you're supposed to do to activate it, but that it worked because of the intent and the like, you know, emotion. Okay, and maybe because she's whatever behind it. I just realized like, that also uh, could have. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I again, that's I got that the, alone. I got the feeling that any sort of like really passionate, involving bodily fluids uh, act would activate that door. Because <laughs> she was talking about this like the whole mural of like the orgy, right before it. I was like, in my mind, I was envisioning, um, you know, at the moment, like whatever res- restorationists uh, who were using that door, like they were. They were quite literally banging it out yeah, and then oh, yeah. Uh, using that to open the door. And then she went for like a really extreme, like, hope this works. Like, you know, uh, that that wasn't the normal way. Right. I don't know. It, it seems weird to me that the normal way of operating this door would involve vomiting blood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, okay, so... This is not the only thing. I wouldn't hold this up as the reason I don't like Shara. That's just okay, that just okay. fed into the reason. That was one of the things that I that I was just like I you know I was a little exasperated while reading her. Um, gotcha. There's everything I listed in my style discussion where the chapters with with so much happens and it's all riding on her shoulders. You know I have a I have a quote here, something that really just a moment that really had gave me some pause. She looks to the right. A low gallery circles the courtyard, heavy square roofs supported by white wood columns. In one column, there is a small black hole. It is just at shoulder height if you are seated. Seated and perhaps holding out a pistol, perhaps to someone's head. And then suddenly she's reaching inside and she's hacking away and she comes out with this piece of black lead. I actually stopped and opened my note-taking app to write, wait, 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 hold on, hold hold on, Bennett, stop. Stop, explain more. Why is she, wait. Hold on, now she she has what now? What the fuck is going on? It was just, it was so much, so fast. I couldn't believe it was actually happening. I thought, like, I, I just, I, I, it floored me. Huh. Well, I was a little so, overwhelmed. I mean, I, I didn't have a problem with that scene at all because she knew immediately, like, from the facade of the building, she was like, this is where Jukov was killed. 
right? Like she yeah, knew she going recognized in there, the temple. Yeah, and she was like, "This has to be the bench that it happened on." Like, and and so she goes in and has this like reverent. And none of this felt like moment. really convenient to you. No, I thought it was very natural. I feel like were I in her shoes, I would have done the exact same thing. Huh? Of like, okay. I would have been like, "This is the place." Oh my gosh, I gotta go check this out and walk in and be like. That's the spot, and to me, at least, I don't know. Maybe this this is like this makes me profane or whatever. Like, I would want to go sit on that bench. Oh sure, and then look around and try to put myself in the shoes okay. of the people who were in that situation. Now she's not the only one who has access to that divine city, um, the divine version of Bulakov. Why has no one else recognized this temple and sat exactly there and seen exactly that and? Because I mean, that's know not what they were concerned with. The people who got access to it were only using it as like a, a storage yeah, staging ground. Like she thinks somebody else would have at least visited that. I don't know. It just I yeah. I didn't I didn't have a problem with that at all. Hmm. I gotta be well, honest. if you're listening and you you also had a problem with that, <laughs> or if you really didn't, you know, let me know. I this this I fully admit this could just be something that is exclusive to me. Maybe I just missed something. But but I'm not I, yeah. at the core of your point. Like I can understand why you'd be frustrated with like her being too capable Mm -hmm. um i mean like i didn't have that problem and especially especially coming out of reading the illuminate files there were some characters in illuminate that i thought were way more obnoxiously capable and conveniently capable (laughs) uh you know but we talked about that and you also didn't like those characters so Mm -hmm. i i see where this is tracking you know like this this makes sense to me now i'm going to talk about who she is specifically okay okay let's talk about how she treats sigrid for the most of the book wonderful and she has some really touching you know flashbacks with him that i'm like okay i can see you know why he stuck around so long because you know she she does treat him with a lot of respect except for one moment for uh, that i felt and like okay take actually let's back up a little bit earlier than that take this moment when sigrid was gearing up to fight a literal kraken you know, the spawn of Jukov, the most horrific monster that we have in this book. She was concerned. She was terrified. She was like, are, are you sure? Sigrid, this, I, I mean, can can you really do this? This is, no, it's too dangerous. No way. But later, in Divine Bulikov, after they find the ships under construction, she's like, well, sucks to be you. I guess you're staying here. And if they try something, you know, uh, stop it. And even, even Sigrid, who's face down the Urav, he's like, oh, hang on a second. Back up, Mike. You want me to do what? You want me to do what? You want me to stop six gunships with 36 cannons? And she's like, well, not necessarily stop them. And he's like, well, how long? And she's like, well, days. Days, plural? And then she just practically pats him on the head, like, with a good boy as she strolls away. Just completely dismissing his concerns. Yeah, that's fair. <sighs> I mean... She was so dismissive in that scene. And I felt like, okay, so there's a reason that Right away, that that made that let me know that there's a reason that Sigrid has to stay behind. He's going to do something important here while she's doing whatever. Because uh, like this just doesn't read organically. It just feels like she's coming off as a huge bitch just because the plot needs to separate them. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still complaining. Damn it! I said I wasn't going to. Why am I complaining so much about a book that I liked so much, pro- possibly loved? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I hate. My remaining characters are all 100% golden. Well, I, I mean, I, so I want to I want to just talk about why I like Shara. Go go for it because that, yeah. she has 
she has sensibilities that really match with me. Uh, she's a lot like Chris in White Sand in the Cosmere, who happens to be my favorite character Brandon Sanderson has ever written. Mm. Big words. She has not only an innate curiosity to figure things out uh, in, in the same way I do, but she also has a, how do I put it, like, a struggle with and admiration for, like, order, right? I am, like, I'm generally a pretty conservative guy, and I don't mean that just, like, politically or whatever. I mean, like, in life, I'm not going out to go skydiving or go, you know, try a new extreme sport, go downhill mountain bike. It's like, no, like, I, I know what I'm good at, and I do those things. But within those bounds, I'm really curious. Those are the areas that I like going outside the box. And, and she strikes me as a similar kind of person. And, and so I connected with her a lot on that level. The way she chafed at um, the strictures of her role as you know a, a foreign minister combined with the passion of what she knows she's good at, she she wants to... The, the, the demands placed upon her by her role as a foreign minister, combined with her passion for history and her burning curiosity, uh, you know, uh, about the... the mechanics of what happened with the divinities and, and the history of the continent, all this, she has this kind of tug of war going on where she's like, you know, am I going to do my duty to my job and my country, or am I going to give in to what I am good at and what I am fascinated by? That rung really true to me. Interesting. Interesting. I will be paying attention to that on rereads, and I will reread. You believe, believe oh, me? Yeah. <laughs> you know. You know what it was. I think I, while you were talking, I think I realized what it was at the heart of why I really wasn't too into Shara as a character. Um, I was expecting to be more invested in her long-term goals. Like, so far as I can tell, though, all she, all that Shara really wants, all that she dwells upon as her end goal, that she views her end goal as, is returning home to yeah, Galadesh. Yeah. But as readers, especially at this point, we haven't seen Galadesh unless we've had a flashback that I'm forgetting about. Like, mm, it's unless it's the still... university was there. I don't. I can't remember if the university was there. Or oh, not. it might have been Galadesh, though. It's still foreign. It's an alien concept to us. We don't. We don't know why she aches for home so badly. We're still invested in Bulikov and the in the unfolding situation there. So I found it a, a tad difficult to empathize or or sympathize. I don't know which one I'm trying to. I should be using well, so... there. Was, with someone whose goals I don't understand or I don't have the context to appreciate. I think this is a situation where it worked much more for me. In Foundry's Side? No, in this book. Because I already felt that connection to her. This, right. Okay. This okay. longing she has, it's not, it's, to me it wasn't, oh, she's longing for Galadesh. It was, she's longing for home. 
and I can I've already connected with her on a certain level, so I can understand that longing for home okay. without needing like a concrete example of what her home is. Right. It's not a destination, but it's a direction. Yeah, yeah. So okay. this is this is definitely a subjective thing here where it's well, like, so is mine. you didn't yeah, have absolutely. the same kind of you know sympathy with the character so you don't under understand or you wanted more out of her goals whereas for me it was like no i'm on board with this character from the get-go i love her i'm like yeah let's do this thing and yeah and so i immediately identified with her her long-term goals Hmm. that's everything about shara i have to say um what about you uh, I have one more thing to say about her, and I'm going to tie it again back to uh, a memory called Empire. Okay. Even more so at the end of this book, she, she rings ooh, very similarly to Mahit. At the end of this book, when she's leaving Bulakov, and she has fallen in love with the city, she has... It's a reverse situation. I I can't remember if I brought this up or not on the last episode, but it's a reverse situation of, of Mahit versus Shara, where Mahit is... Her people are being colonized, and she's going into this other culture and falling in love with it. Here, Shara is of the colonizers and falling in love with the culture and and the location, the city that she's visiting. But in yeah, both just... situations, it's a foreign ambassador going into a city that is the heart of the universe and falling in love with it and then having to return home at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I would also just reverse the order though, because technically, technically, Shara came first. No, I, I'm not <laughs> trying to like say this is copying anything. That's yeah, not I, my I, point. I'm just saying this reminds me of uh, say, the. Mahit sounds like Shara, character. not Shara sounding like Mahit. <laughs> no, I'm not saying it sounds like her. I'm just saying they remind me of each other. Like sure. Oh, sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to make it sound like it's a... Yeah, I'm not yeah, trying to, like, claim that Robert yeah. Jackson Bennett is copying Arcady Martin or anything like that. No, like, no, that's, that that's my point, is it physically couldn't be that way, though, because that no, was first. No, I, I know that, I know that. <laughs> sorry, okay. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, but I'm just... Narratively, stylistically, there are clear similarities here, and this is one of the reasons why I loved City of Stairs so much. Two years ago... I read A Memory Called Empire for the first time, and that was, was two years probably ago, my favorite book that I read that year. Like, and and I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say City of Stairs is going to be my favorite book of 2021, especially because I've already read A Desolation Called Peace, and oh. I've, read, I've read 16 books. Today is St. Patrick's Day. I've read 16 books this year. A Desolation Called Peace is the best wow. one so far. And we'll get My to that goodness. in a, I don't know, a month, month and a half or so on the podcast here. But uh, oh damn, I'm probably like ten myself. Yeah, it's yeah. already March, halfway through March. Yeah. Um. So, uh, but but there is a resonance 
a thematic and character resonance there, and this is the kind of stuff that I love. These are the kind of characters and stories that connect with me, and I'm kicking myself that I I needed a Patreon supporter of Inking Out Loud to get me to finally read this book, because I, I really, really enjoyed it, and I should have read it earlier. Now, is that Rob Winchell? No. Um, oh, my gosh. I said the name on our last episode. See, I, I only... I, I think of him by his Discord screen name because he's in a Discord server with me. He's Getty Beats on, on Discord. Uh, I've only seen his name like twice on our actual Patreon. Oh, my gosh. I'm not even going to try to guess because I can't remember. But yeah, no, no, well, I'm Rob Winchell. We'll find it by the end of the episode. That's what I'll do at least if I need. It. I think I wrote it. I might have written it down too. Anyway, um, we're wrapping up with Shara. Do anything else about Shara? No. Okay. Let's go into the obvious second, right? Yeah, Secret. Yeah, Mr. Pirate King. Oh yeah. So, uh, Secret, most engaging character in this book, hands down, right? Right. Well. Not for me, but second what? most engaging character. Well, Sharo is the most engaging for me. Oh, wow. I still thought that Sigurd would have bumped her up just because of the sheer uh, spectacle. Oh, he's I just, a oh. badass. He is tons of fun. I will not deny that. That is a, that is a yeah, that's just the kind of reader I am, expressing itself right there. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. his relationship with Shara felt more classic fantasy-esque. I was a, I reminded a lot of Moiraine and Lan from The Wheel of Time. I don't In know if you first were. first half. Yeah, with certain moments of their interaction, especially when they, they talk about their history at one point. And when he's gearing up to do something particularly heroic, you know, they're talking about his past of, like, rash and hasty decisions. Apparently, we get from context in this scene here, the the Mavost, the, the knuckle man, wouldn't even have been a challenge for him, you know? Yeah, but, but yeah, no, he, I, I felt that Moiraine Lamb kind of dynamic a lot more in the first half of the book. But he got so much development and his attitude toward Shara changed in the second half. And I loved that. I loved that, that he started being less the dour stone faced badass warrior and showing, I can say showing personality, but showing flexibility in his mindset. Mm. You don't get that with Lan. <laughs> no, no, you don't. Lan is Lan. That guy doesn't need character. It, it development. was. It he was is just. Who he is you know? the 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 really big guy, the small but but fiercely intelligent woman, uh, having this long history together, and then being able to just trade, ex- have these exchanges in the middle of dangerous situations. Uh, like that quote that I was on before. Um, apparently, the Movast wouldn't have even been a challenge. And then he quotes, "I'm quoting him, of course, not like the Dornova." Not like the dragon. And she goes, it was a small dragon. And I ended up finishing <laughs> yeah. it off. And he's like, well, after I did all the work, you know, there's something New Spring-esque about that. I was just like, oh, I like oh, the fact I that they have those that. little, yeah, those little anecdotes for one another. Amusingly, um, those anecdotes reminded me of Kane, where I was like, well, now I want to see their adventures from earlier. You know, uh, yeah. when we got in like Kane Black Knife. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that. 
Yeah, there's so many scenes I want to talk about with Sigrid. So many quotable moments, but I can't talk about them here because, for once, I actually want to save some surprises, perhaps, for our favorite scenes rather than uncontrolling, like, uncontrollably blathering and glowing about them beforehand. So, I'm trying to keep that still. We may have a a same favorite scene. Oh, boy. We probably do. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. And I I love that his past is every bit as horrific, but colorful and tragic as we expected. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's... uh, Even though he was predictable in his, like, backstory, where it was obvious from the get-go, it's like, yeah, no, uh, he's clearly the the lost prince who's prophesied to return home, whatever. That didn't define his character. And I really appreciate that. He was so much more than just being an exiled prince to the point where it was like, the exiled prince, that only mattered right at the end of the book. What mattered in the meantime was his attitude toward death. It it was his, his repartee with Shara. It was his willingness to serve Sapor. But really, he's just serving Shara. And and it was like, okay, all of this ultimately ties back together. And, and that's why he is the way he is. But his character arc wasn't about him choosing to go back home. Yes, ultimately, that was the decision he made. But that was never the conflict with him. That was a conflict that Shara threw in his face at the end of the book, right? We didn't even know it was a conflict until 75 or 80% of the way through, like, through the story. That's mm. one of those really nice layered character things. Multidimensional, yes, yes. Yeah. Mm. Uh, one of the things I need to work on in my writing, you know, like having... Having characters be more multi-dimensional. And it's impressive. Like, Secret was barely even a point of view character. He had, you know... I 5% probably, of this book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very small portion of the point of view scenes. And yet he still had this, this compelling, deep character conflict in him. So that's that was really, really impressive to me. Mm, oh my god, so much. I, absolutely engaging character from first page, like page to last. Brilliantly written. For me, the best part of this book. And that's saying something, because I am going to be talking about a lot more things that I really like. After we finish our next character, uh, my miscellaneous is just going to be like, it's going to be hard to listen to. So who's who's your, your next character you want to talk uh, about? Vo. Volka. Like, they're them as brothers. You know, I'm okay. just going to get both my points about them out of the way. All right. um, I can't say I particularly miss Vo or find myself heartbreaking that he's gone. He was okay. Nothing yeah. to hate about him. Well, besides that, that surface level untouchable arrogance. But I can still, I still have the ability to get past that if a character gives me reason to. He didn't really give me a ton of reason to. Besides these golden, these shining golden moments, like, well, I guess fuck you, Father Kolkan. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, all right. I guess the character is worth it just to bring those lines forward because that was awesome. But. I did mean I wasn't just too invested with the guy. He was okay. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. He was he was fine. Uh, 
I understood the attraction Shara had uh, for him in the past. In the present, I did not really... Like, it, it was never really sold to me, the emotion of his loss. It was really easy for me to be like, oh, well, cool, he got her out, nice. All right, move on, Shara, let's go. Like, uh, I, I didn't have any sort of, like, heartbreak moment of his sacrifice or anything like that. Yeah. I was very touched at the end with that last scene, but I didn't... Yeah, the know, last scene was nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, with the the ceramic tin. And yeah, the metaphor, the caterpillar, the butterfly, mm-hmm. the, the 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 just the directional uh, orientation of those metaphors right. just but behind her. Scene, it was just that scene could so have good. been incredible had there been enough of an emotional impact, but it, there just there just wasn't there wasn't an emotional impact there. Uh, Maybe if we got points of view from him, or I don't know. I don't know what Bennett could have done. I'm not going to try to diagnose the the problem there. I just I didn't get the full impact of what that could have been. Yeah, yeah. I think I did. I I I was really really touched by that last scene. You know, it, it was an incredible ending. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, let's let's talk about Mulagesh for a little bit. Okay, I actually didn't write anything down about Mulagesh, but I, I, it's because I mostly feel the same. Okay, yeah, uh, I, I liked her more in the second half. Uh, she didn't. I mean, she didn't change a whole bunch, but I thought what she was for the story got better. You know, it fit a little more, didn't the, it? The like sar- sardonic, yep, military veteran. I did enjoy um, some of the banter she had with Shara. You know, the... It's like... Telegraphs? Am, am I going to get to go... Oh, yeah, the telegraphs were great, but no, like, when, when she's talking about... Like, oh, am to I going to uh, go the retire? And, and <laughs> Shara convinces her to stay on, and uh, and then she's like... And by the way, you know... Unless I'm mistaken, I think the salary for a general is over twice that of a colonel. And Charles like, yeah, enough for you to take regular vacations. Yeah, yeah, things like that. It, it Good was, stuff. It was fun. It was fun. I did feel that that, that even though my opinion on Mulagesh really didn't change, I didn't like grow to like her anymore. I still felt like that 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 spot that that role that she filled did fit the second half of the book a lot more than it fit the first half of the book. Overall, not a lot of complaints. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Sigurd was the real was the real gem in this book for me, as I imagine he would be for oh, the majority of, of readers, I yeah, think. Yeah. So okay. okay, I'm good for miscellaneous and maybe some predictions for future books if you want to get around to something like that. Sure. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Let's start with miscellaneous. Um the Mavost, the Knuckle Man. Good. Super Lord. Super creepy. That sounds downright revolting. I, I, yeah. You know what? Jackson has some excellent... Uh, Jackson. Jackson Bennett has some excellent horror writing, you know, and its conception just like... Yeesh. That is disgusting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's almost like that that I'm, I'm really grateful that I'm not a particularly artistic person with a powerful visual <laughs> mind's eye because I think uh, I dodged a bullet on this one. <laughs> 
while. All right, next. Feed me a miscellaneous point before I go into more. Um, oh, I didn't have too many miscellaneous points. A lot of yeah. my a lot of my miscellaneous stuff. I'm kind of saving for favorite scenes, and I've already gone over in style. Let okay. me see. Oh no, I do have one. I do have one. I laughed. I laughed. I put my phone down and laughed. Really? Um, okay, where is this? When Shara remembers how to do Ovsky's candlelight. The armored soldiers have collapsed into a sloshing lake of molten oh. metal. Only the okay. bottom parts of their legs remain, sticking up out of the bright yellow-red tide like nine pairs of forgotten metal boots. Shara stares at her hands. Written on the inside of her palms in large type is, I don't f- believe it. I don't f- believe it, screams Mulagesh. <laughs> What's going on there? Are we thinking like some future site? What's going on? No, she's she's hallucinating. Like she just... <laughs> It took her a few seconds to process what she heard so that her, her brain delivered it via alternate means, perhaps. <laughs> no, it, I don't know. She had already been, like, hallucinating. Like, when she talked, like, her speech, like, came out of her mouth in words. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, and so mouths she, on her hands. She was thinking, and it appeared on her palms. And then at the same time, Mulagash is over there and screams the exact oh. same thing. <laughs> They had, you mean they had to say they had the same thought? I should have read it that way. Oh. I didn't read it as them having the same thought. I read it as like, oh, she's predicting what Mulagesh is about to say. No, 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 no. It was, yeah. Okay. Okay. I want to retract that one. Oh, I got then. such a crack out of that. <laughs> Damn, I would have laughed so much harder. I feel like I really missed out. Oh, well, I'll probably forget it for the next reread and I'll, I'll come across it again. And then I will have my moment of laughter. Yeah. We're still under, it's still very amusing, though. That's for sure. Um,. Let's see here. Oh, I've already talked about Pangui's journal writings. Wasn't a huge fan. Um, oh, these lists of miraculous items. Dude, how how much of an imagination does this guy have? Man? That is, that was like, some of these are really, really cool. Uh, some of them are really, really weird. Yeah, I mean, yeah. The some guy are really, with really... seven erect dicks of different lengths. <laughs> hey, man, that's an imagination. You can't, you definitely cannot deny that. <laughs> oh my god these miraculous items are so cool and they all have all these interesting names I, I could just do with like like a manual like this oh, it almost feels like a like a an rpg you know you just want to read these names and what these things do it's really cool yeah so i actually i'm kicking myself i should have brought this up on on characters uh but go I, for it I, man i must have misfiled it in my notes um the one thing that would have made Shara more compelling to me, and this is like a a prediction that I had that did not come true. I wanted her to have been lying to Sigrid about his family. Oh my god. I can see, okay, I see what you mean there, yeah. That would have been such a brutal character conflict. Like to me as a writer, this is this is one of the things. Uh, part of why, oh like, God. predictive things get a little easier. As a writer, when you're developing your character and building your story, you want to think about the worst thing you can do to your characters. It's like this is this is what makes compelling conflicts. If your character's conflict is 
oh, what am I going to get for lunch today? That's boring. You want to you wanna think of things that will break your characters. This is one of the reasons why I think Kane is, in the Acts of Kane is one of the most incredible characters ever written. But reading this, I was like, for Sigrid, what is the worst thing that could happen to him? He's gone through like all the torture of losing his family and losing his his birthright and being thrown in in this horrible prison and you know abused and put in isolation and all of this stuff and then he's rescued. And the reason he comes out of his funk, his his terminal apathy, is that Shara says and proves to him with the bracelet, your family's alive. But you can't see them. And to me, I was like, this would oh make goodness. Shara the most fascinatingly like Machiavellian character ever. If she truly cares about this guy, but she's also horribly manipulating him. And for Sigrid himself, that would be the worst thing. He he goes through the, the belly of the Urav and he's like, you can't inflict pain on me. I've already gone through my hell. I've been branded with the, the finger of Kolkhan. Like, the worst that can happen to me has happened to me. I don't care about death. I don't care about any of this. He would have cared. Had Shara been lying to him about it? Oh man, that's too heavy to consider. Don't make <laughs> me do that. Yeah. No, it's gonna keep me up at night. I Drew. would have liked Shara less, much less as a person. But she would have. Oh been man, could you imagine what my Shara section would have been like? An A plus character had that been the case. I already was not a fan of Shara. Could you imagine? <laughs> I'd still be talking about Shara. Would you would you hate there Shara more than you hate Elena? No, not it's not even on the same scale. Mm. Not even close. Okay, okay. I never actually, I never really, I don't actually hate Shara. I just there's nothing about her that I like. Really. No, but if she had actually done that to Sigrid, oh my god! Oh, if she had done that to Sigrid, yeah, that'd be worse. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. That'd be a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be a lot worse. Okay, I. I sing and caper, dance and twirl, and many a merry pattern I weave. But cross me not, children, for there is no burning coal in all of the fires of Bulakov, no raging storm in all of the South Seas, no element on this earth or in this world that could match my fury. My name is Jukov, and I do not forget. The Jukovstava, Book 6. Wow. Absolutely incredible writing. A-plus stuff. Yeah, there a, a few of those chapter epigraphs were... Uh, we, yeah. They, they we really had, yeah. had that air of, of just gravity. That yeah. The mythological weight of the words. Very nicely <laughs> done. Oh my god, so nicely done. Alright, let's, let's talk about these telegraphs. I want to... Dive into one one thing I wanted to happen with him. One little joke that I thought was coming and it didn't quite come. And I was like, ah, damn it. So here's the quote. PG Mulagesh to CES 512. 
please provide some indication of threat level. Stop. Anything. Stop. Moving 500 armed troops to an urban area, not like backing up a wagon full of potatoes. Stop. GHS 512. Restorationists confirmed to possess 30 plus 6 inch cannons normally suited for dreadnoughts. Stop. Targets currently unknown. Stop. I was totally expecting Mulagesh's final reply to be, fuck. Stop. <laughs> I would have actually chuckled on her behalf. Oh, yeah, that right would have Right there in that good. moment. That would have that been, been great, right? Yeah. I thought it was coming, and it didn't. Of all the times for that filthy mouth to, to throw a wrench into something, this would have been the perfect moment. Yeah, I, actually, I think this is a good, good time to bring it up. Um, the cursing in this. Yeah. You know, we, we touched on it a little bit in our last episode, but there there really isn't um any made up cursing there are some oaths like i mentioned last time yep uh but but we don't have anything like harper or scrum in this it's just it's straight up english western uh curse words we got our f bombs <laughs> you know we got we got all the four letter words you know so I, I think it I think it fits, right, you know, with the urban fantasy rather than the like this is clearly secondary world fantasy, you know, but it because it's urban fantasy, it has a more familiar feel. And so there isn't the the need for and not just urban fantasy, but like twentieth century urban fantasy. Mm. You don't need yeah a more fantastic flavor to the uh, to the setting and and with that comes you know those in-world curses that you know authors like Sanderson you know are, are known for mm-hmm yep um my next one here the swords hack through the white stone and Saipuri soldiers stumble back shrieking from a gun post to Shara's surprise, little Petri Satarashni, screaming a tinny war cry, mans the abandoned cannons and opens fire. I read that and I thought, I bet Drew is smiling at that one. You are damn right. I'm, I'm <laughs> telling you, I want Petri. I, I want this guy to be a main character. <laughs> uh, it gave me a little chuckle. Uh, it gave me a chuckle just thinking what your face was looking like in that moment. That's what it was. Oh, there was a grin on my face. Good, good. The Rise of Kolkhan. After Shara uses Parnassi's cupboard. I think I got that name right. I'm not entirely certain. Mm-hmm. I think I did. Mm-hmm. Um, she wonders if he's really gone or simply waiting for her to make a move. And then a voice comes booming down out of the skies. This city has grown unworthy. <laughs> the amount of, oh, shit, in this moment. That's some Sanderson-level stuff right there. That was just brilliant. I was going to say, I got a lot of Shorefall vibes in the climax yes. of this book. With a certain character. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what? I'm not going to continue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it was, it was the best part of that book. Yeah. You know? So <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely going to like it here. It's a, it's a talent that Bennett has, to be sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, all I have, I have left are go ahead. You know, just you know, a couple of reiterating predictions from the first okay. episode, where I'm like, I I still am holding out that there's going to be another divinity that yeah. was involved with Sapor. I agree. Um, it just 
I subscribe to that. It's so weird to me that this world only had divinities for uh, the continent. Now, it could be that, you know, with the information we learned in the second half of this, where there was this, this kind of give and take, that those divinities only developed there because of the the faith, the belief, you know, among the peoples. But it doesn't fully line up to me because it took so long, you know, the way Olvos described it, it took so long for them to be overwhelmed by the, the thoughts and beliefs of their adherents that if if they were created by them, you would think they'd already be under that sway, that that compulsion. It wouldn't be so much a give and take as just like a take, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and and uh, and there was there were just too many little things with the the xenophobia toward the Sepuri. You know, when when Volca was going on his rant about uh, yeah. Um, Shara's physical appearance. I was like, "There's, there's totally yeah. another shoe that's going to drop." Like there, it just feels like there has to be another shoe to drop. So I agree, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my last. Okay. My 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 very last uh, miscellaneous before I just go into favorite scenes because I don't really have any uh, predictions beyond that. Also, like I said, the predictions I had thought I had for book two actually happened in book one. Yeah. yeah. Um. I don't accept the fact that after rising to glory and raising entire buildings, like literally not, not raising flat, but raising out of the ground entire buildings and reworking major geographical points of the city, that Kulkan is just going to be bitch slapped into sense by the collision of an airship. I really wish that there had been another secret, like a weak point, maybe foreshadowed, revealed, exploited. Not this just brute force. Let's throw dozens of tons of steel at him. That'll wake him up. Just a tad. I was just, just the slightest smidge underwhelmed by Kolkhan's apparent defeat. That's fair. I, I mean, there was more to it than that. It was that he and well, she, yeah. Then melded. there's a talk afterwards. It was, yeah. the, it was that they melded and they just didn't work. They were opposites, and so it was a a, a sort of intent like. I don't want to spoil anything, but that's fair. A, a yeah. something similar to something that happens in Brandon Sanderson's <laughs> Cosmere. Yes. Yeah. Sure. Uh, that's that's fair. I'll give I'll give you that. Um. Yeah. But yeah. But I just I yeah. Shall we? I'm go done. To now, the favorite seats. Let's do it, man. I can't remember if we're if nowadays we're getting uh, honorable mentions out of the way first or afterward. Um. You can do your honor. So I just have honorable one. mention first. Sure. Okay. Oh, you know what? No, that might actually take one of your favorite scenes. I'm going to save it for the end just in case. Okay. All right. Okay. Uh, so my third favorite then. Mm-hmm. But if this is so, why did the gods make us at all? And if we were meant only to labor, why give us minds? Why give us desires? Why can we not be as cattle in the field or chickens in their coops? My fathers and mothers died in bondage. I will die in bondage. My children will die in bondage. If we are but a possession of the children of the gods, why do the gods allow us to grieve? If the gods are, sorry, the gods are cruel, not because they make us work. They are cruel because they allow us to hope. On a sheer wordsmithing level. This is perhaps the most powerful bit of writing in this entire book, in my opinion. 
if I can write with half that much weight in my writing someday, I will count myself. I'll, I'll count myself accomplished. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, my third favorite is Shara's final conversation with Vinya. Just the the satisfaction. Uh, this was another one of the the things that I like. Once that final puzzle piece dropped into place in in the journals, and he kept uh, Pengui kept writing blessed. Blessed, blessed. I was thinking about, like, well, what does this mean? And realized pretty quickly, oh, well, the Kaj was blessed. He talks about this, you know, the experiments. That was, I saw that coming pretty early on. That the, I, I mean, I didn't know it was his mother, but I thought it was his father. Um, that the Kaj had experimented upon his father, but that he was blessed. I So I thought, what I thought it was, was that his father was um, this spirit and his mother was Olos. That was where I went with it. And so I had kind of a roller coaster ride, like through that final scene where I was like, oh yeah, they're calling her Olos. They totally think she's Olos because she's Olos' descendant. And then it's like, oh no, wait. Zhukov was the one who uh, fathered the Blessed, who was uh, the Kaj's mother. And I'm like, oh, crap, I was off. And then it's like, oh, no, Zhukov and Olvos. So it, it was this, like, you know, whole convoluted thing, but ultimately arrived there. Um, But so I was just waiting. I was waiting for Shara to to be like, you killed him. Because he figured out that you're a blessed. I was waiting for it. And that scene was so satisfying. Great character stuff. You know, just the 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 banter, the dialogue was on point. Loved it. Alright. <clears throat> Second favorite. Who is Sigrid? asks Forhanis. There is a horrific scream nearby and a burst of breaking glass. Then silence. That is Sigrid, says Shara. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. That is so much win. That is so much win. That was the moment where I'm like, yep, I'm going to like this series. I just as a whole. The, the, that was, yep, that was the note right there. That was my honorable mention. <laughs> ah, gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Yep. Oh, it's so good. It, yeah, so good. All right, your second favorite then. My second favorite is really just all of the fight between Sigrid and Urav. But specifically, what made that so good? Yeah, there was good action. You know, there there's some great descriptions, uh, an awesome set piece with the the frozen river and the bridge and all that. But it was the interstitial character development these alternating paragraphs of his history his memories as he's fighting this thing and then ultimately you know it culminates with him in the belly of the beast 
discovering that the beast cannot harm him because he's already mm. gone through his hell. I loved the way that played off of itself and then wove together over the course of that scene. That was some fan-damn-tastic writing. All right. See, your favorite scene. And any honorable mentions, if you if you got anything. I'm fairly certain you do not have my favorite scene as an honorable mention. Real? Okay. The final pages. It was an absolutely incredible ending on paper. The, the metaphor, the caterpillar, the memories of Vo and dumping his ashes into the sea where she chose to dump them in the calm waters of the ship's wake behind her. And then again, that extra layer of metaphor where she is on the boat, at the stern, at the rear, thinking about you know her past, the butterfly, and then striding confidently to the front of the ship toward her future. Just chef's kiss. That was magnificently ended. Uh, I agree. I think it, it it was magnificently ended, and uh, that's my honorable mention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, my favorite scene was something different. It was in that final chapter, but it was much earlier in the final chapter. I'm just gonna read this. The train wheels squall and sputter. She touches the window. The ghost of her face caught in its glass. Just want to point out there. Very precise word choice there. Mm, yes. Caught in its glass. The thematic wording. Oh my god. And it clicked. Right there, it, it clicked. God's this guy been knows what trapped he's in glass. Oh my god. I must not forget. I must not forget. She will not go into Bulakov. The train takes a straight track from the governor's quarters to Ahanashtan. She will not see the collapsing temple of the seat of the world. She will not see the cranes around the Solda Bridge. She will not get to see the construction teams hauling the ancient white stone out of the rubble, the stone of the divine city. Nor will she get to see what they will do with it. She will not get to see the armadas of pigeons wheeling through the spokes of smoke as the day begins. She will not get to watch as the mats in the market are rolled out, as the wares are put on show, as merchants wade through the streets crying prices, carrying on as if nothing has happened. I will not see you, she tells the city, but I will remember you. The walls continue to swell. Then, as she passes, they shrink behind her. When I come back to you, she thinks, if I come back to you, will I know you? Will you be the city of my memory, or will you be a stranger? She could ask the same of Galadesh, the city of her birth, of her life, a city she has not seen in sixteen years. Will I know it? Will it? know me? The walls have shrunk to a tiny cylinder of peach white, a can floating on black waves. The past may be the past, she tells them, but I will remember. Rising crescendo. I can hear music. She's gorgeous. Just gorgeous. Nailed it. 
Nailed it. And agreed. All right. My, my favorite scene, because that last one was an honorable mention. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and it was very, very similar to, you know, the one that you talked about right before this, but it was leading up to this big attack by the Urav. Yeah. First, the man Vod. After seeing the creature break through that two-foot-thick oh, river ice, yeah, yeah. V- Vod lifts his jug, sniffs at it, and peers into its mouth, unsure if he wishes to buy this brand again. Yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> and then something is stuck to the opposite side of the ice, directly underneath them. So Vrenna is, refi- is reminded of a starfish he once saw, brought back from the coast, but vastly huger, nearly 30 feet in diameter, and with many, many more arms, some of them wide, some of them thin and delicate, and in the center, a bright, glowing light and a many-toothed mouth that sucks against the ice, its black gums squeaking. The taps and pops increase. Savrena looks up at the ends of the beast's arms and sees many tiny claws scraping at the ice around them in a perfect circle. Oh no, says Savrena. The light blinks twice. Savrena, I don't know why I said it differently there, thinks an eye. It's an eye. With a great crack, the ice gives way below them and a mouth ringed with a thousand teeth silently opens. Yuck. Talk about your horror right there, man. Oh my god, I'm going to have nightmares about that. <laughs> it's good stuff. That is just so brilliantly worded and disgusting. Yeah, some good stuff. And then, of course, we jump into that scene inside the tea house. You know, such incredible building tension here. Such effective horror. What a scene. Like, oh my god. Just the decision to do that across three separate point of view characters in such a short period of time, building up that tension. It was just a masterful bit of writing i mean i oh my god it was so good <laughs> it was awesome i'm giddy just thinking about how good that was yeah so oh and then of course uh sigrid beowulfing his way out of that creature's belly have you seen beowulf right hey I, I, <laughs> oh i'm so, okay i'm so, sorry that was probably uh, that was probably ridiculous i'm assuming you've read the epic then oh yes okay <laughs> I wasn't part. I wasn't sure if that was actually in. The, so he cuts himself out of the beast in the epic as well. Uh, not in the same way, but but yes, I've seen the movie as well. The with Angelina Jolie. <laughs> Angelina yeah, Jolie. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it yep, doesn't yep. go down the same yeah, way, no. but but yeah, yeah, I've seen that movie. <laughs> it's it's oh my god, and Brendan Gleeson. I love that actor, but yeah, I just that scene is so brilliant i would like if i had sketching talent i'd want to sketch him doing that that'd be badass mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so yep all right oh I, my last prediction real quick i think sigrid has some blessed blood as well oh he's gotta i mean the i mean the miraculous you know like survival yep and timing his timing is impeccable. I mean, wasn't there one, at one point... Oh my god, I totally forgot to bring this guy up. Uh, what was the guy's name? I really, really liked him. I thought he was going to be a villain last episode. With the um, the leader of the... Uh, of the, uh, the... The sect that overthrew the party. Mm-hmm. Guy started with a CH. He got thrown out the window. I forget his name. I totally forgot to mention that. I'm st- I am disappointed that we didn't see any more from him. I love the writing from his point of view. But in that scene, when Sigrid was really starting to like hulk out and like starting to attack them... I could have sworn there was a moment where, like, his eyes were glowing. They were, like, glowing white. Uh, am, I, am I misremembering that? I could be very well misremembering that, but I think his eye... Maybe it was just, like, the, the candlelight reflecting off his off of his eyes. Huh. 
I, I didn't pick up on that myself. I think he's just too supernaturally talented. He has way too high of a of a prestigious kill oh, count yeah, involving I mean, dragons. Like he's he's blessed, right? Yeah, he's he's gotta be. Like the, there is something the king, not is. natural going on. Like he fell out of the damn sky into a building and walked away with like some bruises. <laughs> Oh, he's got. Well, yeah, he he's, he, he's, he got his face torn up, and but but not. But, <laughs> but still, the fact that he survived yeah, is yeah. already minor injuries. <laughs> yeah, he came out of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. That's pretty much everything I have to say about City of Stairs. Oh no, I mean I have a conclusion before the final draft. Okay, but I'm well then go into both of those. Yeah, let's let's do that conclusion here. All right. All in all, fantastic books. You know, I mean, I clearly had my complaints. Too many of them. Honestly, I, I will say too many of them for how seriously I enjoyed the book. I can't believe I spent that much time complaining about something that objectively is still wonderful. It was an amazing book. There are very clear moments where the pacing's jumping around. It stumbles forward under what I think is a little too much momentum. Uh, again, notably chapters like Recreations. I, I can't stand the present tense style, so I'm super glad that Bennett did ditch that for the Founders trilogy. Yeah. Um... You know, but these are the sort of things that if a writer's going to have a problem, these are the problems you want. It's just it's just a tad bit in this moment in his career when he wrote this, I think a, a little less experience for something so audacious. Uh, he's insanely creative. He's devious. He's an intricate world builder. He's an incredible wordsmith when he chooses to be. And I think his strongest ability is the effortless way with which he makes you fear that next page. You know. I mean, I shouldn't be really this surprised at the sheer quality of his work. This is only a few years before Shorefall, which astounded me as a book. Um, so I'm, I'm confident with whatever he's going to bring me. I, I, I know I'm going to like it. Even if I'm probably going to guess most of the twists and turns along the way, if past experience has been any indicator, um, well, I still give this a solid four out of five stars. I'll, I'll say, and I, we were not as uh, on, on the nose with Shorefall. As we were the Foundry side, so I'm I'm hoping that he's gonna surprise me in the same way with me too. City of Blades. I do hope so. Yes. City of Blades is and the I'm name seriously. of the second book, right? <laughs> City of Blades. Uh, City of Blades, and then City of Miracles. Yeah, City yes. of Miracles is the third one. Yeah, yeah, City of Blades. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I just want to extend a serious thank you to the patron who recommended we cover this and who yeah. I forgot to look up. Yeti Beats on Discord, shout out. Very nice. Uh, and actually, before we before we go on, I just want to say, Inking Out Loud does not currently have a Discord server. Um, I'm working on it. I I have created one, but I haven't like fully settled on what kind of format I want for it, and I haven't decided whether or not I want to deal with moderating another forum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, you know, if if we make an announcement, you know, in the next month or so, don't be surprised. But if we don't, also don't be surprised. On the other side of that, uh, if one of our listeners wants to volunteer to be a moderator for our Discord, reach out to me. Uh, especially if you have a lot of experience with Discord or being a moderator on Discord. I would love to get some help with this because uh you know our, our facebook group is a lot of fun but facebook is not the easiest platform for like discourse and uh and and i'd like to get a a discord server going so yeah nice shoot yes. us a message if if you're inclined to help out with that 
because I just yep. I simply don't have the time. I'm I'm doing moderation admin duties for like six Facebook groups, three of which are thousands of people. It's a lot of work, and uh, and I don't have the mental or emotional energy to <laughs> to run a Discord server. So yeah. I, I need to get more into the Discord sphere. Yeah, I just use it for so many basic things now. I, I am going to learn a little more about it, yeah. and then I could probably, you know, take some of the load. But uh, but yeah, so uh, on that note, shall we head into the final draft? Yeah, yeah. I just want to say one more thing. Uh, really excited to continue. Bennett may be my second favorite currently publishing author since Pat Rothfuss seems content to sit on his ass these days. Boom. Ooh, hot take from Rob. Hot Said take it. indeed. Perfect material this book was to discuss in this podcast. I'm so glad I read it. I cannot well, wait for more. Yeah. I, I, so. I recognize we've gotten to the end of this episode and we haven't talked about like the subtext of this book. The like the colonial themes, the the race themes, uh, even some of the uh, like sexuality and gender themes. Uh, a big part of that is because we're already two hours into this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh and i very much anticipate this is going to keep going forward uh you know as a, a backbone of the series so we'll have an opportunity to talk about it a little more uh next book but trust me we're aware of it and uh and, and it's not something we're just letting fall by the wayside so well said uh rob what have you been drinking Okay, so I'm continuing on with my uh, sobriety, and I still haven't had anything to drink since we recorded the Obsidio episode. I am now, um, <laughs> I'm just bringing another delicious thing that I've brought on a few times before. Uh, this is probably my third or fourth time bringing this, this on. Drew, you guessed it earlier. What am I drinking? Old House Farms. You, Dude, how did you know? <laughs> oh my god. Hang on a second. I got the bottle down here somewhere. <laughs> Really good stuff. Blue goodness. This is I've had the red goodness on before. I'm not sure if I've had the blue I don't goodness think so. on, but it's so good. Apples, bananas, blueberries, blackberries, just mixed into a, a heaven in a glass. It's just oh boy, every, more sugar than I'd like to oh. to have, but you know what doesn't. Every time you bring one of their little like fruit smoothie drinks on, I, it just sounds mm, so yeah. damn good. Oh my god, dude. <laughs> it's it's the smoothest smoothie I've ever had. It's like a, a hug at the back of your throat with freshness. It's so good. Yeah. When when I uh, make my way up to Canada, that's going to be on the agenda. I need some Bolt House oh Farms God. when I'm there. We're going to have a sugar rush and we're going to have a sugar crunch <laughs> just on so much Bolt House. It's probably go really good like in a, in a daiquiri or just mixed with some rum. You know? Oh, oh I don't even need. Probably would be. Probably I don't good. even need any booze. I just give, give me a. Dude, I'm, I'm yeah. telling you, since I've stopped <laughs> drinking, I, I haven't. I'm going to try and go three months without drinking this time. Normally I do one month of sobriety. I'm going to try and hit three this time just because I need to take, I, I want to experience total sobriety, <laughs> you know, I need to do sure, that. Sure. I need to give my liver the break, but, and I need to lose some weight, God forbid. But, you know, not that I'm a huge, enormous guy right now. I'm still sitting at like 200 pounds, but no. Yeah. Bolt House Farms. So good. It's so good. It hurts. Very nice. So. All right. <laughs> All right. What are you sipping on? I understand you've had an interesting day on this St. Patty's Day. Oh, I have. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, over the course of this episode, I have consumed a glass of Guinness. I've also had a shot of Jameson. And I had some uh, similarly themed drinks before we recorded this episode because 
I'm a New York Rangers fan, and this evening, oh, the Rangers oh, beat their rival Philadelphia Flyers 9 nothing in ooh. one of the most lopsided games of hockey, of professional hockey, I have ever seen. I will never forget the time I saw the Rangers do that to, I want to say it was Tampa Bay in 08. Uh, when they won, I think it was 8-1. No, they scored like 9 uh, on on Tampa, and I believe it was a shutout. I think... I think it was a was show. it another nine zero? It may have been another nine zero. <laughs> yeah, but but no, yeah. It, it, this Yikes. game was extremely enjoyable tonight, and I was having a good time. But I did bring on a thematically appropriate beer, a oh god, hazy Imperial India Pale Ale from Adroit Theory Brewing Company. Oh, we've had Adroit Theory before. We have, yeah. It's from Vint Hill, Virginia. Uh, they're they're a brewery that has great names for beers, and as I've had more beer from them, uh, great beers for names. Um, well, okay, beers. Oh. Ooh, <laughs> okay. they're fine. Gotcha. This is, I don't know, like, like it's it's this is an average hazy IPA. It's eight point zero percent. It you know it's it's got some kick. It's got a little bit of that, Still a strong beer. you know, like orange, citrus, uh, hop profile that you'd expect from an East Coast hazy, but it's nothing special. I, I got to be honest, you know, it's fine. But uh, I, I think this is a great beer for both the beginning of this book and the end of this book. It's called The Death of Civilization. Nice. Right on the head with that one, wasn't it? Oh, I felt that. Yeah. I felt that. We started with the death of a divine civilization, and we end with what promises to be the death of a bureaucratic colonial civilization. So. Nice. Very nice. I'm glad that you can still bring it to the table in in my uh, lack of, I don't know, <laughs> creativity. Yeah. I just follow my taste buds. It's, uh... Okay. All right. Well, uh, next week, uh, we will be continuing with the Divine Cities trilogy. Uh, we will be reading through the end of chapter nine again. Uh, it okay. should be, it'll be a little less than halfway through the book, but uh, as it turns out, you know, once again, very long chapters, and if we read through the end of chapter ten, that would be well over halfway through the book. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna make a judicious chop off there. You know, uh, if you want to support the podcast, if you want to check out our city of uh, city of blades episode part one early, take a look at our Patreon. That's Patreon.com/slash Inking Out Loud. We have tons of bonus content, including early access to episodes. And that is where, uh, you know, our, our podcast runs. Uh, this is what we use to pay for our hosting and, uh, and and our art and our sound editing. All of the proceeds from our Patreon go into uh, the pockets of the people who do work for us. Rob and I are not walking away with any of this. We're not, we're not using this for beer money or, or trying to make a living. This is a hobby and something we love doing and we just, you know, we want to keep 
giving you guys fun content, fun analysis, maybe sometimes not so fun analysis, uh, <laughs> on books we, you know, we love and, and new books we're checking out. So consider supporting the show there. As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Right here. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye, everyone.